We got faces made for radio. Yeah, we do. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> so, uh, welcome. Hey, we are back at another episode of our Mountain Fitness Podcast. We have our usual suspect, Mike Barnes, on the call today, and we have called in our resident expert, uh, JC, John Cole. And today we are going to touch on metabolic conditioning. We're going to talk about how we should be training from a conditioning, from a cardiovascular aspect to prepare, to better understand. We had a discussion right before we got online today about just the fact that we think there's a really common trait where people maybe don't fully understand how they should appropriately train to get prepared for some of our outdoor mountain activities, our hunts and things like that. And so I am a firm believer you should always bring in people that are smarter than you. <laughs> and so that is why I am going to moderate a lot of today. Uh, Mike, as we were just getting on, was talking about he is just getting ready to release a new book through Human Kinetics on metabolic conditioning uh, with a friend of ours in the industry, John Graham. Excited to see that. So this kind of sets up perfectly. JC runs our lab here in-house. He does a lot of nerding out in there. There's a lot of weird noises that comes from that room, a lot of pain and agony, and he's usually doing it to himself. Um, I had to check his pulse yesterday in, in a workout that he was doing, and he's doing some stuff, checking core temperature during some intervals and some things like that. And so there's a lot of really high-level technical stuff that we can look at as we start into this, but our goal is going to be how can we make the common average person who maybe is going to your commercial gyms and things like that better understand, like, let's give you some better ammunition so that you don't go in there and either train in the wrong mode, um, spend too much time in an area that maybe isn't going to suit you very well. So let's begin maybe by discussing what do you guys feel are often some of the, the first kind of interpretations of what gets misconceived or um, what, are, what are some of the pitfalls that, that often uh, people miss when they tell themselves, like, I need to get in shape, which I think is a really, really broad spectrum uh, on that. So let's, JC, you go first and Mike, you can jump in on after that. Um, sure. Thanks, uh, Joel. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the common misnomers uh, associated with this when you talked about get in shape, you know, in air quotes is, is that people have to go into their, you know, local hit box or their, their rec center or something like that or, or, or take it outside and absolutely murder themselves. Um, yes. And that basically what, what that's doing is that is, uh, you know, taking sort of a shotgun approach um, to uh, uh, performance metabolics. And let's face it, you know, the hardest thing for people to understand is they feel like if they're working hard, they're getting something done. Right. Um, uh, part of what I've been preaching through are, you know, lactate threshold testing, uh, functional threshold for power testing is understanding how to build what I call the foundation of the house. Okay? Right. The foundation of the house is actually uh, more endurance based work i.e. something that would be done in zone two mostly 
um, which is, uh, you know, a reasonably low to medium level uh, section of their, you know, max heart rate. And most people don't understand that like zone two work is, is kind of boring. It's, it, it goes by and you don't feel like you're working that hard, but you actually are building the foundation of the house. On the other side of the equation, if you are just going into your local, you know, interval, you know, your hitbox, or you're going into the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't want to get. I don't. I don't want to get us in this trouble. Is, this is a safe space. Let's say CrossFit or Insanity or something there like you that. Go. Um, uh, understanding that, you know, if you are spiking your heart rate over and over and over by doing some type of interval training, then what happens is, is you're you're putting the the you know, sort of the frame and the and the finish work and the roof on the house without a foundation underneath it. And you know, let's talk about the hunt aspect for a second. If you do not have that foundation built, and you have uh, and you are building an engine that has a ton of uh, torque, let's say, okay, it's a very powerful engine, right? That engine will have a lot of torque, but it won't have a lot of efficiency. And if you're talking about the span of a hunt. You almost want to have a, a torquey Prius, so to speak, <laughs> rather than a semi-engine. So it needs to be able to have uh, a lot of gas in the tank or be able to last a long distance before you have to refill it or recharge it. Um, now, being able to have those, uh, obviously, you know, uh, ventilatory threshold or those anaerobic spikes where you're operating in the absence of oxygen, i.e. sprinting or you know, rucking in a hard hill climb or something like that to get from point A to point B. Yeah, you're going to need that section of your conditioning in place. But you got to get there first. And and I feel like that that's sort of, uh, you know, my stance on it. Most people hit the miss the mark on that where they're they're just thinking if I'm not if I'm not working hard and I'm not sweating and I'm not drooling all over myself, then I'm not doing it the right way. And I think that's where, you know, my stance is on that. Mike, go. No, that's a great point, too. I agree. And it's interesting when you're working with different folks that have some type of uh, foundation, like JC, you had put it, and it's solid and you might, you know, whatever, let's just say three, three years, give or take a year or so, and they do some of that foundational work. It, it's almost like, okay, now I've got a good platform so we can really launch if the individual that I'm working with is competitive and an athlete at various levels. They don't have that um, buffering byproducts, big problem, even in kind of a moderate tempo strength training routine where you're not even in, in my estimations, maybe yours too, Joel, look, this is not made to be a, a buffering type workout. I'm just trying to get a neuromuscular workout. Here was push, pull, squat, you know, upper body, lower body, midsection. And all of a sudden that person's feeling queasy and you're like, what in the world? You have no capacity to buffer. So that said to, to play into what JC was just talking about, I think what I see, what goes through my mind is the lack of application of fundamental principles. So progressions, um, overload, some type of specificity, some type of transfer. How do those two things relate to each other? That's where I really see the downfalls and they don't do it. So, um, you know, one of our favorite fitness stars, um, David Goggins, <laughs> would say when he's going to go 
try out for the seals, I guess, the first time he rolls off the couch at 270 pounds approximately. And the goal was to run three miles that day as a, I guess, a 24 year old, maybe 20, whatever it was, a young man. He goes, I think I made it a couple hundred yards, turned around, walked home and sat back down on the couch. And okay, well, we can tell him from a physiological point of view why that happened. So even to say, look, you could have went out and did a 40 minute workout, but let's jog for, um, I don't know, say 50 yards. We're going to jog for 50 yards and then I'm going to have you walk Mm -hmm. for five minutes and then you're going to do another jog and then you're going to walk. And then you need another job until we get out to 45 minutes to JC's point. Let's build a foundation first. So in my mind, um, we're talking about the same thing, but it's the lack of, of fundamental principles and in, in how to apply them, Joel. Yeah. And I, I think that the one thing that, that I typically see, and, and we just had this discussion, uh, Jared from Hunt League has been here all morning with us and we've been doing some really cool stuff, kind of some planning and some work on some things. And, uh, we kind of have that that talk about uh, how in, in in a lot of cases, especially when you get into you know your your CrossFit environment or you get into a, a other gym setting, and you walk in and you're like, "Hey, I'm going to go to Orange Theory," and there's a whole group of us, mm-hmm. and there's 15 people and whatever else is. We lose sight of what is necessary for me or where I'm currently at, right? And all of, like you said, those principles get kind of thrown away based on competitiveness, ego, you know, a lot of these things that ultimately then aren't suiting your needs, especially if we're, you know, we have to keep in mind, we're talking more specifically about the fact that you have, we're talking about people that have a goal in mind. And, And in this case, it's for us, we're talking about, I want to be prepared for September. I want to be prepared for my upcoming hunt, that type of thing. And so in that any given day, I know a friend of mine always says, like, don't sacrifice now for what you want most in the end, right? And you'll get kind of goaded into those situations where, you know, it becomes really challenging sometimes in those dynamics to say, yeah, I see everybody really trying to get after it, but that's either not where I'm at right now, or that's not going to suit me for where I want to be as I head down the road. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. When I was, you know, back in Maine on vacation, and that's sort of, you know, where I, I, I do all my training year round so I can go back and kick everyone's ass back there <laughs> at altitude. But, you know, when I go to sea level, but I remember one day I went out for a zone two ride and it was going to be a two hour zone two ride. There was this guy who slid up next to me and then just blew by me while I was sitting in zone two. And, oh, God, did I want to go after him and hunt him down. I just wanted to go show this idiot how much gas I had in the tank. And then I was like, pull the emergency brake and say, "Okay, hang on a second. What what is my goal of the day and why am I doing this? You do you. You do you. And I think the other thing that I was going to say to piggyback what Mike was saying, too is, and and you and I had this discussion yesterday, metabolic programming is like uh, mad scientist shit, right? It's yeah. way up there. It, 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 it doesn't speak to most people the right way. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people will, you know, look at this information, whether it's online or it's a podcast or it's an educational seminar or what it may be. And, you know, for those of us that have been in the industry for a long time, it's easy for us to out-tech and out-science our audience. 
happens. For sure. And I think that is the hardest part uh, for for most practitioners and educators to understand is how to take all of that science and all of that technology and all of that educational knowledge that we have and and sort of dumb it down. Yeah. Right. I mean, let's face it. That's what a CrossFit box is. You don't have to think when you walk into a CrossFit box. Workouts right there. You just get it done. You're in a competitive environment. It's fun. And yeah. bang, 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 boom. All, and you're and all that's fine. All right. that's fine. But how do we take everything that, you know, Mike and I have experienced over the years and, and the understanding of, of, you know, foundational concepts, to your point, Mike, and then make it digestible for, you know, the regular consumer? Uh, the bow hunter, for example, to say, oh, okay, I understand that and, and I can execute on that. Yeah, most definitely. Mike, you touched on something in there that I think is really interesting to talk about because I know there's been some research that's put out that has, has kind of touched on this. And that is where any translation within what we do from a strength training perspective, mm-hmm. how that has a translation to the conditioning side. So I, I don't yeah. know who wants to tee that one up. Maybe Mike, since you brought it up, um, let's talk a little bit about that because I, I don't want this to be a get out of jail free card because you've got your, your weightlifters and your gym rats and stuff like that to go, Oh, <laughs> this is perfect. You're just making my case. I don't have to do cardio, but <laughs> what I want you to do is I want you to talk about where there's benefit there. Uh, but obviously we, we have to understand that we we've got to, kick that door open maybe a little bit wider, but talk maybe about uh, what you meant by that, because I think it's important to understand how, how there is some value there and how we can utilize that uh, in, in this conversation. I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. So if, if you're a true strength power athlete, um, shot put, um, a sprinter, uh, whatever, 100 meters, maybe 200 meters, no more. Um, then that aerobic training will compromise your strength power gains. However, if you're going to be, um, if there's any type of metabolic challenge, say like football, repeated efforts of high intensity, now we can say, okay, there's a metabolic component to this, to performance. So you're going to have to have some cardiovascular conditioning, aerobic and anaerobic, if you're going to play football and do it at a high level and have repeated efforts and not get fatigued over the course of the football game. Um, so as the further you get away from that true strength power, one effort, Olympic lifter, one effort, maximal effort, maximal strength, maximal power, the metabolics become more and more important. Is is that, I think that's what you're kind of getting at. And I don't want to go any yeah. further than that because we can go down a rabbit hole on how to, operationalize that but is that where we want to start joel yeah well let me let me and i'll I'll ping it over to you so one of the things that a lot of times i will either say or or convey to to folks is let's just say we we do a cluster of some exercise we're doing some dynamic effort stuff maybe i'm going to do a trap bar deadlift followed by a jump squat followed by uh, let's say, you know, uh, a couple tuck jumps and, and that type of thing where my goal is going to be to have my strength follow something that's power followed by something that's dynamic, right? And if I go one to the next to the next to the next, I get done, I'm like, 
my heart rate is really kind of pumped right. up a little bit, right? I usually will tell athletes, I say, well, the best part about that is, is as soon as we start to recover with that, we're going to see the aerobic system start kicking in Correct. to help me recover. Yeah. Speak to that a little bit. And is that something that is going to help us in that foundational piece if we, you know, obviously do enough or not enough, but I would say uh, understand that that does have some value in it. So, again, yeah. for me, Jesse, I know, you got for it, example, Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, he was pointing at me. I don't think he told you that. <laughs> yeah, course, sorry. I'm not, getting a, I'm not getting a video. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. That's I, all I, I apologize. Yeah. Um, so, you know, French contrast, potentiation, clusters, supersets, whatever you want to call them. Those are things that, you know, both you and I have a have a put a put a great value on in this facility when we were when we're, when we're coaching it fast. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, uh, putting those exercises together in an order that we know is going to not just benefit uh, the muscular system, the neuromuscular system, but also the metabolic system, and then allowing for that recovery in between. Now, uh, a lot of, you know, pre-programmed, uh, you know, high-intensity interval training, the, the, the recoveries uh, can sometimes be consistently narrow i.e. 20 seconds 30 seconds you know sure. even even you know up to 45 seconds or a minute but i'm always keeping an eye on the athletes that i'm training to see what their recovery system is like if they don't have a heart rate monitor on which i'm a huge fan of heart rate monitors and we can go down that rabbit hole later um if they don't have a heart rate monitor on i'm i'm just looking at their ventilatory respiration rate so that I have a, a clear understanding of when I feel like they're recovered to be able to go back and execute that cluster to the absolute best of their ability. Now, that's just my training philosophy behind it, and it always has been. If I'm getting into a situation where I'm trying to take those, you know, whether it's, like I said, French contrast or potentiation or supersetting or something like that and add a metabolic component to it, then I'm obviously going to collapse the recovery. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mike, you have anything to add to that? Mike, you still there? Joel, you just cut out for a second here. I just I just finished up with JC and then I, I missed your whole <laughs> statement. No, you're, no, you're, you're good. I, I asked if you had anything to add to that. No, the, the only thing that I'd add to that, too, as a coach is that you're you're looking for uh, breakdown of mechanics and sometimes just intuitive after watching athletes enough. You're like, you know what? You're kind of on the edge and yep. we're going to take a little time out on whatever, 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds. I don't care whatever it is in order right. to do that next group of exercise clusters or um, I, I refer to them as pods. In, in, if we were grouped together, those dynamic efforts like you, you were saying earlier, Joel. So just right. as a coach, I'm taking an observation. Occasionally, I'll just throw in, hey, how do you feel on a scale of one to ten? Ten, this is as hard as I can go. One, this is super easy. That's my own little Likert scale or um, RPE. And um, I just want to know how they're kind of feeling, you know, and if someone says, hey, look, I'm getting a little bit queasy. Um, yeah, it's 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 time to ramp it down. But if I see any type of deterioration in the mechanics to 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 a level that I'm not comfortable with. Um, yeah, we're going to shut it down a little bit. And, you know, Mike, to your point, that's what Joel and I refer to as technical failure. Right. Yep. And let's face yep. it, you can see it. Anywhere you go in any gym or any high-intensity interval facility or anything like that, 
when those rest intervals collapse or you have an untrained athlete or you have somebody that is, you know, possibly pushing or pulling more weight than they should and their form starts to break down, guess what? They keep going, right? And and that's yeah. where you move away from metabolic conditioning and start getting into physical therapy. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and, and Joel feels the same way, you know, you always have to have an eye on your athlete. You always have to have an eye on your group. You always have to be able to make that assessment to say, to your point, Mike, okay, you know what, we're going to we're gonna take a little bit of a longer time out here because I want you to rest and recover. Or, you know, they're starting to get pale. They're starting to get queasy. They need to go to the bathroom and do what they need to do. Okay, it's probably time to move on to something else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's that's important stuff. Now, as we kind of, you know, think about this, so, mm-hmm. you know, we uh, I, I maybe took a, a slight detour by, you know, pitching the, the, the strength training piece and understanding what that does. Yes, there's value there. Yes, we can utilize that as a vehicle to determine like how well we're recovering, that aerobic system fits in as soon as we get done with whatever exercises, clusters, you guys have thrown out a couple different terms, right? Uh, maybe you're doing a circuit training workout, whatever that looks like, right? Um, we're going to see some benefit from that. But okay. now let's talk about the flip side of that, which is if you have your guy who is sitting in the corner right now listening and going like, Woo, I'm getting cardio from my, my weight training. <laughs> Let's tell them what they're missing out on based on the fact that that's, that's not going to be suffice in terms of expanding that foundation, really opening that envelope up and knowing that we're going to have to probably do a little bit more than just go lift weights and then let my aerobic system kick in. So let's, let's start with that. JC one, two, uh, um, well, I, uh, obviously, because, you know, I, I come from a alpine sport background training, uh, alpine skiers, snowboarders, uh, Nordic and biathletes, you know, I've spent a lot of time with understanding the effects of altitude, the understanding of the effects of metabolic training, um, and, and understanding how to round out the complete athlete more or less. Right. right. And, uh, interesting note, uh, to piggyback what you just said. Uh, the Austrians in alpine skiing specifically, who are notorious for kicking our butts, and the Norwegians as well, um, have had a system in place uh, for quite some time now, uh, you know, the last decade or so. It's called training like a turtle. So obviously their programming revolves around uh, strength and power because alpine skiing is very much a strength and power sport. But they got to get to the bottom of the hill. And the the critical component with that is being able to maintain the benefits of strength and power over a certain level of time. So it's not like a, a, a you know one effort. They have to continue that effort uh, sometimes for up to two and three minutes at a time, depending on the event. And you know when they get down towards the end of the run at altitude where they're absolutely gassed and then they go into, you know, a, a three gate turn, which has the equivalent G force getting a piano dropped on your back. If you don't have that foundation in place to then put the strength and power component on top of it, you're in trouble. So getting back to what the Austrians and the Norwegians have been doing, they spend at least one to two days per week, sometimes three days a week in the off season, literally doing zone two, low zone three work to be able to build that foundation in addition to the strength and power programming that they're doing. 
Now, when we did this with Lindsay uh, back at the facility I used to run up the hill, and that's Lindsay Vaughn, for those of you who don't know, um, we would put her on the bike or put her on the treadmill and hit her with that zone two work. And when she first started, she'd look over at me and be like, I don't feel like I'm doing it. I'm, I'm not doing anything. This is boring as hell. I need to do more. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need to stay right here. You're going to stay right here for the next hour. You want to watch a movie? You want to, you know, Snapchat your buddies, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> but you're going to stay right here for the next hour. She eventually understood where that gets her and, and, and how that performance benefit happened. But it's not just in the alpine sports. It goes across field sports. It goes across just about every single athlete and athletic endeavor, including hunting. So if you look at it from the standpoint of, okay, uh, my ATV is only going to take me so far, right? <laughs> so at some point, push that envelope a long way. Uh, yeah. So so once I get off that ATV, I got to get to where I'm going, yeah. right? And and that is not a sprint, right? That is, you are carrying a, a reasonably heavy load over, over you know, what could be considered a considerable distance to either get to the site or get away from the site or wherever it is you're going. So that, that's sort of my soapbox stance on that. Mike, what, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, could I ask you 15 questions here about everything you just said? Because that's a <laughs> lot of fun. Um, yeah, but I'll try to keep it quick. Let me, let me just tee up a couple ones. Are you, are you monitoring uh, lactate threshold? Excuse me, not yes. lactate threshold, uh, lactate um, concentrations when you go zone two? Yes, absolutely. So that's where we build the zones off. Um, right. A lot of it has been done. So we do, what we used to do in the old facility is we would do VO2 and lactate threshold simultaneously uh, to make sure that the data synced up, you know, within a few beats per minute. Because like I said before, right. the idea is, is not to out-science the athlete. We want to be able to, our, our side of the science is to be able to find those zones and then give them the information in an easily digestible form so they know what zone two is and they go back and, you know, we'll usually retest them four to, you know, four to six weeks later. And how do you normalize between cycling and, say, treadmill? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I, we, I just... Um, did a piece on that for the three T's that I have coming up at the NSCA. There is a considerable difference in heart rate. It can be anywhere from five to 10 beats per minute between rowing, running, cycling, and swimming, right? Which are the sort of my, my four uh, uh, big, you know, uh, endurance uh, uh, training methods. Um, so for example, if we do a functional threshold for power test on a bike, we know that those zones are going to be, you know, considerably different for running within five to 10 beats per minute. Because if you think about it, cycling is mostly a lower body exercise, right? Running is a little bit more of a full body exercise. Swimming, depending on the efficiency of the swimmer, right? Which is usually not good. Which is usually not good. Um, you know, if you're an inefficient swimmer, guess what? You are going to be just absolutely cannonballing your heart rate, trying to get from one end of the pool to the other. Okay. And then, you know, take that even a step further to rucking, right? Okay. So what does that rucking test look like? And that goes back to the specificity, Mike, that you were talking about right at the beginning about, you know, training rucking for rucking before we got started on this. I'm a big fan of training cyclists for cycling and Nordic skiers for Nordic skiing, and runners for running, and so on and so forth. 
But at the same time, I'm also a big fan of making sure that the runners are not just running all the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm big on cycling and swimming because it's more of an unloading, less impact, yeah. uh, um, relevant exercise. So the short answer to your question, Mike, is yes, we do uh, vary those ranges depending on the uh, modality of the training. And, and may I just, I'm just going to add one more thing. Sorry, Joel, in advance. So even on the, even on the treadmill, you've got contraction dynamics. So what I do and what I recommend to my clients is let's put a backpack on somewhere. Yeah. I don't know, whatever, let's just say 35 pounds and the tra- contraction dynamics, specifically the lower body, of course, compared to running as opposed to walking on an incline, nine to 15 degrees, 2.8 to 3.2 miles an hour are vastly different. And let's just say that they're putting out, I don't know, whatever, 300 watts are vastly different than running for a 200 pound approximately individual at, let's say, six to seven miles an hour. It's not, it's equivocal in their power output, but it's not equivocal in their contraction dynamics, which, and and I don't want to go too far down this, but it doesn't need an answer. I'm looking at substate utilization as well. So Mm -hmm. those contraction dynamics from what I'm hearing from our clinical friends are different and the utilization is different, carbohydrate, protein, and fat composition, Mm -hmm. even though it's the same power output on a treadmill. Now, here's something that, yeah, so this is all good stuff. And and as the uh, remedial guy here who's, who's listening to you guys throw out like lactate threshold and substrates and, and all these other things and trying to make sure that, that we can, you know, present this and, and get people to, to understand what we're like, well, oh boy, they, they went off the rails on me here. Um, <laughs> I, I did quick. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're, we're good. You're, you're, you're both equally guilty at this point. So, um, so that, 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 that's okay. So, the, uh, and as you've been job, watching, I'm, I'm, I'm scribbling down some things where I'm like, okay, let's make sure that uh, we understand this. And I think that there's a couple things. Number one, the easiest way, maybe, because you've mentioned it a couple times, Mike, I think you've mentioned it as well, is just getting people to understand where, number one, we talk about lactate threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys talked talk a little bit about zone two. You talked about zone three. Our average person has probably heard that term now a few times within podcasts and went like, what the hell is that? Yeah. yeah. And so associate those two together because we've used aerobic aerobic is you know our long slow distance anaerobic is our more higher intensity stuff that that requires us to crank it up and we can't maintain that for long periods of time so talk about uh whichever one of you guys you guys can draw straws for it here um over over the interwebs where the zones are and how those associate to aerobic anaerobic the lactic threshold piece so that we get just a little clearer picture of what that actually means. Mike, you want to jump, jump on in? that? Yeah, yeah go I, I'm going to jump in. I'm just going to, I'm going to serve it up to you, JC. So that whole zone thing started out a long time ago, I believe with polar. And you probably understand yeah. that more than I do, JC. But yeah, that's correct. So they divided, they divided this up to kind of organize training into um basically effort levels. And I believe it was a little bit of a sliding scale. So it didn't really matter where um, your max heart rate was or your lactic threshold was, 
But they came up with a pretty good organized way to do that. I thought it was pretty smart. But I think what we're finding out and what you're finding out is we can be much more targeted on the response that we're looking for. In Lindsay's case, I want zone two. And I don't know what it is. I think it's somewhere around 1.8 on the uh, blood lactic acid level. Um, That's where you want to be targeted. Okay, so there's an associated heart rate and there's an associated... um, effort level that you might rating of perceived exertion, how hard are you working? She's thinking that this is way too easy. You know what, Lindsay, I want you to stay right here because this is where your mitochondria is working most effectively to get the response that you're looking for or we're looking for. All that Mm -hmm. said, I will say this as a disclaimer. I don't necessarily disbelieve in those zones. I think they have great application. I, I, in, in my estimation, depending on what source you're listening to, there's six zones. There's seven zones. There's actually four yeah. zones. Um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take it from there, and and I'm gonna leave it alone. And just real quick before you answer that, um, you know, Mike mentioned like mitochondria. You know, when we talk about the low level, long, slow distance stuff, the mitochondria is where essentially, if we talked in basic terms, right, we're talking about that is where we want or where we're getting our our energy, our availability, yeah. and yeah. an ability to produce work. Okay, right. so um, if we do that low level work, we're mm-hmm. essentially trying to build the foundation that you talked about, which yeah. creates an ability for us to have a larger pool of resources, i.e., that mitochondria, so that we can create a higher output of work. So that go go from there. So that's that's why we call it energy system. I mean, it's all energy systems that we're trying to develop there. So, Mike, to, to go back to your point, yes, from from a practitioner's level or anybody who's had experience with any type of metabolic programming, I mean, heck, you could build it out to 12 zones if you wanted to. Um, and I, I feel like you're exactly right. What Polar did is is Polar built out, I think it was a five-zone model that that was very digestible to the consumer. Now, as we have advanced uh, in our knowledge of this, we've also understand uh, understood a little bit better that it can be less about heart rate zones. It can be more about watts per kilo. It can be more about um, you know taking a look at where the inflection point on that uh, lactic buildup actually takes place. So, I feel like for me, I've actually even though. I, I am spending most of my time testing watts per kilo in, in various uh, different type, different modalities. When I deliver the information to the athlete or to the client, I want to make it as simple as possible for them to be able to understand it, understand what they should be feeling. Sort of, you know, it could be on an RPE scale or being able to carry on a conversation versus you can't carry on a conversation, things like that, so that. Even though you and I, Mike, are are looking at the science from a very high level, the digestibility of it, which has been my argument all the way along and how we started this podcast is, I don't want to over-science my clients. I don't want to over-science my athletes. I want to give them simple tools with which they can follow a program for, say, four weeks. We go back and test it again. We take a look at the metrics. We say, okay, has this altered at all? You know, has their functional threshold for power gone up? Has their VO2 changed? Has has the inflection point of their lactate buildup changed from 
the professional practitioner's level, I'm able to take a look at that data and then turn around and spit it out into something that is easy for them to follow for the next phase of program. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes, so it makes total sense. sense. It, it, and if I could, um, so you're looking at, if, if it was me, the two points are how, what is your power per kilo at lactate, lactate threshold? Because I want to be Correct. able to push you right to the absolute, absolute limit and hold it, number one. And number yep. two, what is your peak? You know, how yeah. much um, how, how much horsepower do you have, for instance, if right. you're going to cycle and have a hilltop finish in, in yeah. a uh, road race? Right. Yeah. So the, the thing to, uh, I think, to make sure that we understand is, is you guys have mentioned watts per kilo. Layman's terms, we're talking about how much power can you put out based on your body size. Mm -hmm. Correct. And that is a really good way for, again, we talk about individualization, yep. which is, you versus you, mine is different than JC's. Yours is different than Mike's probably is. All of it's going to be based on a lot of things such as what is my actual body weight? What's my, my previous my previous training? Yeah. Uh, you know, history. What is my age? Yeah. Right? Um, this is the first time in a while where I might be the youngest guy in the room. It makes you <laughs> feel pretty good for a change. Um <clears throat> And, uh, but at the end of the day, so let's, let's now take this and, and we're going to play a, a little, a little game, which, uh, I, I want to try and get this into the simplest way for people to understand this, right? So I'm going to give you a, an example and you guys can spit out kind of which zone we're talking about. All right. So, um, I am working. At a pace, we, we'll just call this, let's just call, we'll go running, um, all right? So I'm working at a pace where JC and I are just cruising along and we're both still chatting. What zone am I in? Mike? Two. Two. Zone two, okay? Yeah. Uh, JC's starting to get a little competitive and uh, he's like, I bet I can beat you at the end of the block. So we start hauling ass. Um, okay, well, it's a little dynamic. Let's say that I, I, the end of the block is yeah. about a uh, hundred meters away. Mike, whatever your max effort is, it, you're yeah. going to be there. Um, I always say this, if, if you're going to condition, I like to do this because I think it's just kind of a psychological thing. Finish strong, no matter what you're going to do, finish strong. Now, if you're going to race your friend, um, yeah, you know, it's it's metabolically, you're going to have a, a max effort, say, whatever, you're a Borg scale 20. I can't go any harder than I can if that's what you're suggesting. So what whatever zone is like. We're, we're, talking, um, we're talking zone zone five. You got a max uh, level of zone five? I mean, if we're doing a one through five, yes. Let's yeah. let's make it five. easy and just say it's a one through five. We'll make yeah. it one through five. five. But if you're not I'm, five, I'm, you're not trying hard enough. I agree. Right. I agree. 100%. So, um, we, we're, uh, we, we crank her back down and, and after we did our zone five, we're like, Oh crap, we better, we better walk the next block. Now, now where am I at? Well, that depends on how fast your heart rate comes down. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm trying to make this easy, everyone. I know you are, but I mean, let's, I, let's I, say I, I recovered really quick and my heart rate's back down to, uh, 110 beats and i say i'm gonna walk the if minute. you're all the way down to 110 beats per minute after a max effort that fast i'm, I'm, a, highly, I'm a highly trained yeah highly okay trained. yeah you really are you're a machine 
Uh, that'd be, we're, we're, we're trying to contextualize our zones. Here. I understand what you're saying. It would be zone one, zone two, but, but as you said, your metabolic, your, your genetic makeup, right. Yeah. And your training age and everything else associated with it is going to be different from mine. Yeah. So if I'm racing you to the end of the block, your recovery time to get down to 110 beats per minute, which I highly doubt you, um, is going to be far vastly different from mine. Sure. Okay. Um, and so I, would, then after- I would, I would add that the reason why you're down to zone two and not zone one is that you're just trying to dissipate some heat and get get your heart rate yeah, back there down. There you go, hundred percent. Right, 100%. as you're blowing back down to walking at say two miles an hour, which would probably be yeah. about where I would walk. And so when we think about that from a, a real translatable perspective, right, Mike? You've experienced this. I'm sure you probably have as well. You think of it from a skiing perspective. How many times have you went out? You get up in the morning put all your gear on you're like it's a little bit chilly right and we start walking and you you start heading in the backcountry and you get 10 minutes into the walk and all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh i'm way overdressed yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that thermoregulation piece of knowing like a lot of times i will underdress right away in the morning not that i'm not saying i'm underprepared but i i'm like thinking ahead 10 minutes down the road where i'm like as soon as we start moving guess what my body heat's going to start going up and I'm not going to need all these clothes. I may still have them in case something goes wrong or sideways or the weather turns, but I'm going to need them uh, maybe later on. But as soon as I start moving, body temperature is going to go up, core temperature is going to go up, our respiration is going to go up, and I'm going to heat up, and I'm not going to be cold based on what Mike just said. Right. So the same thing is going to happen after that effort. As soon as we start cooling down, it's going to take my body some effort to cool back down. And then, yeah. So those core temperature sensors that we've been working with, and I don't know if you've seen those yet, Mike, they're the, the Swiss-based company Green Tag, and a lot of the Grand Tour riders and triathletes are starting to use them now. Um, it basically is a device that measures your internal body temperature. And we've been doing a lot of experimentation with this because there is a lot of science coming out right now about uh, uh, an athlete or an individual's uh, inability to crank out more watts when they hit a certain internal body temperature level. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it's a little bit of a moving target. I have, I've experimented on myself quite a bit where I was holding a threshold of 102.9 degrees where I couldn't really push out more watts. Well, yesterday on that workout that I was on when I was cursing and throwing stuff and drooling all over myself, yeah. my internal body temperature went up to 103.4. And I was at my absolute max limit and couldn't put out any more any more watts at that point. I can concur with you. <laughs> so, but also thermal regulation has a lot to do with like okay, uh, uh, alpine sport, which is a strength and power sport, versus Nordic sport, like Nordic and biathlon, are are considerably different. And if you look at some of the Nordic and biathlon races, they are out there in a skin suit for hours, yeah. and they're just putting out so much body heat to try to get that heart rate down that it is their thermal regulation is off spiked off the gauge. Right. Yeah, for sure. Hey, worth mentioning though too. So if it is cool outside and you know, obviously these Nordic skiers are out there, you got, you got a uh, convection cooling going on. Yes. hundred percent. And, and on the other end of the spectrum, and if someone wants to go out for a run in Las Vegas, say at the NSCA national conference in the middle of July, <laughs> You've got convection heating and yep. radiation. So yeah. now the sidewalk's hot, the buildings are hot, everything's yeah. around you hot. 
and you make it a couple hundred yards and you're like, shut it down. I just can't yeah. dissipate the heat. Right. Yeah. So to your point, Joel, about underdressing, absolutely 100%. I go the other way with one merino layer on top. And then my second and third layer goes in my backpack because I know when I go to stop, I'm going to need it. But that initial hike, yeah. which a lot of times we see could be, you know, you could be two, three miles in. So right. it's dark outside. It's below 30 degrees. It's September. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And um, yeah. think a little bit ahead because you're going to be stopping real soon. And, and if you get wet, too, from sweat, you're in trouble. Yeah. So now we walk the next block. JC and I recovered. Um and we're like, all right, well, I still, I'm still feel very good. Let's uh, let's let's kick it back up. We're gonna we're gonna head out for the next uh, call it 800 meters, and our our mission is we can't sprint 800 meters metabolically the way our physiology works. Right, um, our elite level people are getting close to that. They're doing it pretty pretty swiftly, but us old crusty farts here, we're we're just gonna try and cover it, and we want to try and cover it as fast as we can, right? So we're going to run at a pace where we're probably not going to be talking to each other anymore. Where, what zone are we at in, in, in that kind of an effort? Mike, do you want to jump on that? Yeah, you know, I would call it, you're probably going to be at race pace because number one, if you had, I don't know, whatever, you say you did a three-mile run, you had a 10-minute pace, um, pretty decent workout, then you have a sprint finish, and then you have a little bit of a recovery. Your legs, if you're not, you know, if you're in average condition, are going to be a little bit of fatigue, and you're going to you'd probably be surprised on how little, um, on how little it takes you get you to your kind of your race pace. So, whatever zone that is, they're calling these days. I guess it would be like zone three to zone four, somewhere in that range. JC, is that about right? Yeah, that's what I would call it. Tempo. Yeah. Tempo. Yeah. 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 Right. Tempo to threshold. And so, looking at yes. it from the standpoint of saying. You know, let's use functional threshold for power, for example. You're probably either just below that or at it. Um, and the interesting thing to note, if you're talking about the, the, the history of where we started, we were at a jog pace. We sprinted to the end of the block. We let our heart rate come down. Now we're up to a run pace again. Your uh, heart rate obviously is going to spike a lot faster after that initial effort. Right. That's one of the things about zone two training that's so interesting is when you read the research on zone two training, very specific about not letting your heart rate go up too high or get out of zone two, because it becomes a lot more challenging to get it back down to keep it from going up. Once you go up, the likelihood that you're going to stay up or achieve that uh, heart rate faster exists. And that's uh, that's definitely a consideration. In relative terms, so like I, I think about that, right? Um, somebody that you guys I know probably are, are familiar with, uh, Inigo Samoan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so. f- fortunate enough. Inigo is a guy uh, you don't necessarily have to know who he is, but uh, I probably learned more from him, obviously excluding you guys, <laughs> um, uh, early on in my career about that kind of lower level, that recovery mm-hmm. and something that always stuck in my head. And granted, we have to understand this. This is just kind of gross numbers or whatever was. He talked about how 110 to 120 beats mm-hmm. per minute in most general cases with most general people um, was like that was his area that was most specific where, like you said, if I get above that, 
I'm not accomplishing the task. No. If I get below that, I'm not accomplishing, not accomplishing, not accomplishing the, task. the task. There's neither not enough stimulus there yeah. or there's too much stimulus there. And we're training something else. Zone two is hard. I mean, zone two is hard to stay in the zone. Yeah. You know, it's either, okay, I feel like I'm not doing anything, so I kind of slow down, I get bored, and you then all of a sudden out, the bottom. Or you're like, I kind of feel like I'm not doing anything and I'm bored. I need to go. And guess what? Hey, Even Joel. if you're going, you know, uh, anywhere from five to ten beats per minute outside of zone two, you're not accomplishing the tasks that's associated with it. Yeah. I know I routinely incorporate that that level uh, in in training with a lot of my folks. No, I, I, I still got you. So it, in fact, it's still, it just started the recording right over. So we yeah, you're good. So yep. I, I apologize. We, we lost, you got to love technology. We just lost a, the feed there, but we can, we can see your office, Mike. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, Let me block it for so, you. I apologize that, but we were talking a little bit about, you know, incorporating that 110 to 120 kind of, of neighborhood. Again, these are the general, general numbers, right? Um, but he expressed like how valuable that was. And I've taken that. And as you guys mentioned, you said like, man, it's, it's tough to get people to understand that. Mm -hmm. And I program it. We use an app based stuff where I've got guys all over the country, all over North America and stuff like that. And I'll put that in the program. Like, Hey, we're going to do our recovery based ride, our zone two stuff. And every single time I'm like, do not go harder than that and do not go less than that. And I like encourage them that we have to, and granted, you don't need to have, you know, a whoop band, a, a cardio mood or any of these things that we use. You know, I, I'm like, take a six second heart rate and add a zero. I'm like, I need you to be at 11 or 12 and stay there. And you have to understand why that's important. And the other thing too, is I encourage the athletes, especially if anybody's really going to take their training seriously, Go out and buy uh, a wrist-based uh, heart rate monitor with a strap. You don't have to buy the one that freaking makes you coffee like this garment I have on my on my wrist here. I mean, you can you can get them for under a hundred dollars. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Amazon's and, a beautiful thing. And and uh, the other part that you need to understand associated with that is, uh, believe it or not, you putting your fingers up to your neck and and checking your pulse rate is going to be accurate more accurate than using a just a wrist-based heart rate monitor. For sure. Um, you know, Apple Watches and all that You're kind of stuff. You're getting from the source. <laughs> Apple Watches, uh, uh, all of those things, even Whoop Bands, um, Aura yeah. Rings, all that stuff are variability. mindlessly inefficient over about 110 beats per minute. They're great lifestyle monitors, but they're not yeah. good activity monitors. So having a strap, even if it's a cheap one, if you have a strap, you're going to get a more accurate read. Yeah. All right. Here we go. You guys ready? This right. this this is where it's going to get fun. Okay. So I'm I'm holding on to a couple of these questions. One of them is I want to talk about because we saw this at Western Hunt Fest, and I know Mike, you and I have talked about it. JC, you've seen the data, and we had a really unique situation where we had three different types of individuals. Right. We had. The weightlifter guy who is like, I'm big and strong. I'm going to go out and the Western Hunt Fest, our pack out challenge is a simulated pack out of an elk. Okay. In sandbag weight, you have to carry it over a specific course. We're in 
mountain environment. Okay. Just to kind of let you people know, if you haven't seen this, um, be sure to go check out Western hunt fest and we're tracking all their data. Right. And within that, every person that, that has done this event typically falls into three buckets. You get the, the young and hungry gung ho person. Who's the gym goer. Who's super strong. Who's like, I'm going to go out and crush this thing. You get the person who probably used to be that guy who says, I need to figure out how to be a little bit more efficient here. I'm going to smarten up and know that I need to diversify my portfolio, if you will, <laughs> in terms of training. He says, I'm, I, I need to understand where I can push and how hard I can push given whatever that effort looks like. Okay. And then you have your other person who's a little bit more on the season side who says like, I understand exactly where I'm at. And I know that if I operate in this, we'll call it zone, right? Mm -hmm. And the smart zone, which is going to be, you guys have mentioned like that threshold. I need to be just below that because if I'm going to continue outputting at a, at a certain level, I want to be up close to there, mm -hmm. but I can't go beyond it. Because the guy mm -hmm. in bucket number one, he goes right over that cliff and he's done. Yep. Can't continue producing. You get the guy who's like, I know where that thing is at and I'm going to push it right up to that sucker as hard as I can possibly go in group mm -hmm. two. And then you got the guy in group three that goes, if I operate right here, mm -hmm. I know that I can just, as you said, that turtle race, right? And I'm going to keep going. And we saw group one, that person goes out like a freaking cannonball and comes back like a freaking crash test dummy, <laughs> right? You get the guy in group two who's like, he's going to cross that finish line and he's going to push it all the way out there. And when he crossed that finish line, his tongue's going to be hanging out, but mm -hmm. he, he pushed it right to the limit and still managed. Mm -hmm. And then you got the guy in group three, who's like, I'm going to operate. He's still going to come in. He's not, this is the effort is never easy. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Right. Yeah. But he comes back and goes, did it check the box. Yeah. Got it done. Yeah. Right. Talk about how the guy in group one, is a really dangerous situation if we're talking about adding this into a real world situation like you mentioned it like if we get up there there's going to be some implications if i go over that threshold because mm -hmm. i can't come back right yeah. and we talk about in a hunting situation where if you have that guy who's like i got to get to there and i need to get there super fast and he goes at it way too hard what is the long term i guess maybe i'm at uh, creating a lot of gray space for you guys but who, who wants to maybe tee that what i'm talking about like what are the negative implications of being number one, why being number two might be okay, but has mm -hmm. some pitfalls and why the guy in number three is maybe the guy we really want to emulate. Go ahead, Mike, JC. you want to jump on that first? Okay. No, I'll, um, I'll drop off you, man. Okay. Let's talk about exactly what let's, let's talk about the spe uh, specificity of hunting, not just the pack out challenge, but right, we'll right. talk about bow hunting in general. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get from point A to point B, right, through whatever means necessary. Sometimes uh, at, at a, you know, threshold level or slightly above that, depending on the terrain or depending on how fast you have to move from point A to point B to get around the herd or around the kill or whatever it's going to be. And then you have to get to a point where you can actually regulate your heart rate to take a clean shot. For sure. That reminds me 100% of biathlon skiers. If you've ever seen them before, it's one of the hardest endurance sports on the planet. These guys are carrying 22 rifles, and they are going completely 
anaerobic neuromuscular to get around the track as fast as possible, pull into the same shooting station on three rounds. They have to do one prone. They have to do one kneeling. They have to do one standing. So each one of those positions, they have to be able to lower their heart rate to a rate where they can hold it 22 steady and hit five targets in a row. If you miss a target, you have to do a penalty lap or you get time added on to your, to your, uh, so anyways, going back to that, think about the guy in group one, right? Here he is just tear assing out of the start. He's going to go up there. He's going to just overload that world beater, a world beater. No question about it. He's going to overload that pack and he's going to just haul it down the hill using all the strength and power. I'll show you. Okay. I'll show you. Imagine, right? Imagine that he actually had to go a further distance up steeper terrain, um, even past where you load up the pack to make a shot, right? Okay. He's all strength and power. He's all torque. He's got, he's got good horsepower, right? But he cannot get his heart rate down fast enough to be able to take a clean shot. Now you've just wasted five grand, including your permit, your fuel, <laughs> your camping, your everything else, because you're literally not in the right conditioning shape to be able to, let's not even talk about packing out. Let's talk about making the kill first, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Zone or, or group two, the guy that hit threshold and came across the line with, you know, knowing that he was going to be on the couch for four days and miserable pain, but he did it right. Okay might stand a slightly better chance, but nonetheless, right. uh, you're still in a position where how fast is he able to recover, right? Yeah. The person in, in group three, I would say, has the best absolute chance based on his results of the pack out challenge to be able to get from point A to point B and take a clean shot. Mike, go. Yeah, I'd say those those three individuals, you know, you, I, what goes through my mind is the first person's a weightlifter and they're used to higher levels of lactic acid buffering capacity and they overestimate what their longer term ability is. So as they start out, they might feel like I'm not going that hard. I got a lot more left in the tank. So mm-hmm. they hit the gas, overshoot it, and then they have to pull back. And that would probably be someone that's bigger by nature, maybe carries a little bit more muscle. And Correct. also that person, the load on their back is a smaller percentage of their overall awesome. body weight. Mm-hmm. So the second person sounds like they're kind of a, a, not necessarily, I guess you could call it a hybrid and maybe with some training background and kind of knows that I'm going to go as hard as I can. I'm going to go a little bit harder and seeing if I can hold it. And that's, that's where they're, mentally tough can handle for sure. um, And then the one is like, you know what? I know exactly. And that reminds me of, I guess it was Hunter Kemper who you probably know the name JC. Oh yeah, absolutely. He had his, his coach here in Colorado Springs had Mm -hmm. his, um, he knew exactly uh, run, bike, swim. This is exactly the heart rate you need to maintain within a couple beats. If you're over, you're going to cook it. If you're under, you're not going hard enough. So, and as you see, obviously with these marathoners and people that monitor that heart rate, they are constantly, I mean, for heaven's sakes in a a marathon, if they're not looking every 50 yards down at their wrist to see what their heart rate is, it's, it's kind of surprising. So all that said, um, 
the the one the 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 group threeer is is going to you know perform yeah probably the best that they can be or optimally or at at their highest capacity would would be my estimation yeah, from sky and and you know you see this too maybe JC on on people that bike ride it's like okay I got some big guy out here and he's mm-hmm. he's going to start out this ride race or training ride and they're going to go hard and they're going to be good mm-hmm. for probably about 45 minutes or less and then mm-hmm. they're going to go back of the back of the uh the back oh, yeah. of the pack yeah. yeah. And so they're just going to now they're now they're going to, you know, whatever, bleed off that extra 75, 80 watts or whatever it is and be 100%. like, yeah, that's kind of how that's how it goes. Every single training ride with this person. And yeah. And, and if you're if you're functional threshold for power testing and you look at the graph, I mean, it falls off a cliff. Right. It, it drops yeah. so fast that it's and, it's and i was thinking about this too which is as you guys were kind of discussing this right so so we track metrics when we're out in the backcountry if we're going scouting if we're just out on training hikes um if we're at total archery challenge and then obviously if we're actually out in, in the field and, and uh doing doing it for real um one of the things that jay or that jason and i really started to pay attention to a little bit this year was we got back from day one, we did like five or six miles. Right. And so we're, we're looking at, you know, what our expenditure look like, you know, how many, how many miles do we cover? What are, you know, all, all the, 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 the basics. Right. And we get into day two and we meet up with Jared. We have kind of a game plan, uh, buddy from hunt league and we end up being, you know, an hour and a half before sunup, getting out to where we wanted to be so that we could glass and see some things. And then we made a game plan from there and it was to cover this basin. And then we meet back up and then we're like, didn't see anything where we're going to go from here. Well, you fast forward 13, almost 14 hours later and close to 10 miles in that day. Mm-hmm. And we get back and now granted me trying to be more of our number three model here, which has been, <laughs> an evolution of listening to guys like you tell me and, and make me understand. Cause I grew up being a guy that was like, I want to get this done as fast as I possibly can. I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can. So I can freaking get this done. Right. Like I've always just been a sprint based athlete that that's, you know, all the sports I played growing up and in college and everything else. Like my brain has just been ingrained into that. Right. And JC's will laugh. Cause I, he's probably heard me say this a hundred times. I'm like, my mantra when it comes to running has always been, I'll race it to the end of the block, just never around it. <laughs> and and it's because I just have never wanted and enjoyed that long, slow distance, that zone to that, that endurance based stuff. And I've started to evolve and understand that like, I'm now learning where that place is so I can be this number three guy and know that if I'm going to maintain this for a long period of time, and if I'm going to go on a five, six, seven, eight day hunt, I can't be number one. Number mm-hmm. one, I'm not getting any younger. Yep. Number two, the implications on that. So take, for example, when we got back from that like 14 hour day and we looked at all that stuff and we looked at the cardio mood and it's tracking what our recovery status looks like. I recall Jason saying, uh, cardio mood says that I need 32 hours to recover. <laughs> right and you go oh boy yeah because now we're looking at those responses and what we just put ourselves under and those are things that i think a lot of times if you're in boat one or boat two down here you don't realize 
the compounding effect, the residual effect that that's going to have mm. when you go out. And it's like, you have to almost keep a, a, a head about yourself when you hit, hit this, you know, Correct. this thing where you get so ramped up and so jazzed up to get out there and you want to go do your thing and you're so fired up to get your opportunity. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, maybe if you're lucky, which I never am when it comes to these, like, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to find an elk on day one. I'm going to knock it out and be done. Um, it doesn't happen very often. And it's like, if you do that early on, guess what? You're going to put yourself in trouble and your hunt's going to be greatly affected the further down the road you get because that, that right. intensity, um, that effort does have some, it's going to ask for a payoff. So two things with that, and then I'll let Mike jump in here. Sorry, I hope I didn't jump the gun on you, Mike. The first thing yeah. is the advent of uh, digital tracking health devices have basically turned our society into slaves to technology. Oh, for okay. sure. So I, when I got off of that hour long beat down on the bike yesterday and I took a look at my, what my Garmin Connect said I needed for recovery score, it was 48 hours. Okay. <laughs> I am not going to be not training for 48 hours. All right. No, we I don't, just we don't like you. to listen to that. <laughs> well, that's the point, but uh, you know, uh, it is, it's excellent to have these metrics but you also have to really get an understanding of how you feel as an individual, yeah. right? Like I, I put a big emphasis on RPE and I know that, you know, Mike yep. does to a certain extent too. If you have an untrained athlete that's giving you RPE, well, guess what? That's going to be considerably different than it is with the trained For athlete. Sure. However, yeah. as you see and, and you start to evolve with that particular athlete and you start to get them to understand RPE, you're going to see those numbers start to come down. Yep. So understanding how you feel versus what the metrics tell you uh, are a very important differentiator there. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is making sure that you're understanding the best way to get all this information that Mike and I are talking about in an individualized program to you. Yep. And I would conclude this statement by saying it is in your best interest. If you care about your, investment that you put into hunting all the time all the energy all the financial investment that you find an expert who can basically give you some type of a baseline test whether it's vo2 lactic threshold ftp whatever it may be and that individual has an understanding on how to assist you to break out not only some type of easy to digest zone work but then a schedule with which to do it. Yeah, 100%. Mike? Yeah, uh, so, you know, we were kind of talking about metrics, and I like the, the metrics that we kind of look at, you know, is obviously with the, the heart rate in particular, that's great information. I think that there's the RPE, which I love, mm -hmm. um, probably more so than the metrics. Mm -hmm. And I've seen my heart rate change dramatically over the course of decades and kind of scratch my head and make some inflections there that I didn't quite anticipate. So, you know, how are you feeling on that day? And, and then the other one I kind of question, and I don't know who's coming up with this, but maybe you do, JC. But, you know, you have this recovery. Okay, that was an extremely intense workout and maybe it was long and you need 36 hours to recover. To your point, 
I'm not going to wait that long. I, I would say, okay, now look, that was a demanding workout. Yes, you got that right. But do I need 48 hours to fully recover? Maybe I don't want to fully recover. Maybe I've got some time tomorrow morning to go on a zone two, right? I can go out and do yeah, a yeah. zone two right? and, and feel like, yeah. well, that just, okay, it was hot. Uh, my heart rate was 10 beats higher than usual. Um, I wanted to go for it on that mountain bike ride and it was two hours. Great. Tomorrow morning. I want to go on a recovery ride and stay in zone two and maybe be on the trainer, maybe not. And I can still recover and feel like, okay, good. You know what? Now I'm going to load up again for Mm -hmm. maybe Saturday's ride. And that's going to be, we're going to ride 80 miles in Buffalo Creek, Colorado, which is a great place to ride. So I, I think you kind of have to weigh that. And the other thing, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this, JC, but I know that you are monitoring Okay, where that athlete, an individual is over the course of time, how are they adapting? Are they maladapting? Are they, are you mm-hmm. getting the response that you want? Are you seeing any inflections there that are cause for concern? And also those subjective things with the individual. How do you feel? Do you got any legs today? You know, yeah, are you combining yeah. your training with strength training with, um, you know, all sorts of other factors that are fatiguing? Did you skip dinner, nutrition, hydration, sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, all those type of things too that are that are a bit of a moving target. So yeah. um, that that's kind of my response with the metrics. Yes, they're a good guide, but I don't think that they're definitive. They're not definitive. And and you know, to piggyback what you just said, Mike, I'm a huge fan of doing what I refer to as a verbal training monitor. So when the athlete walks through the door the next day, it's how do you feel today? Yeah. Um, you know, are you sore? If you are sore, what's sore on you? How did you sleep last night? Um, you know, if the energy level is low, what was for dinner? What was for breakfast? Little, little things, little telltale signs that are associated with that. You don't need a degree in sports science to, to really figure out how an individual is feeling on a particular day and what may have been the mechanism for that particular state of readiness, uh, for those individuals. And the interesting part is you guys have kind of mentioned, we talk about this, like, rate of perceived exertion the more trained we are obviously a lot of times our ability to ratchet our perceived effort goes up a little bit mm-hmm. right we learn how to output at a higher level right our under trained people like you've seen uh, i have a high school track athlete who we've been putting through a, an off-season program and we're just starting to ramp his running back up and doing some things uh you know some long long short stuff and, and stuff like that and we've kind of did his first day of doing some things at a little bit longer duration and uh his rate of perceived exertion on day one was like way down here jc and i were looking at you like come on man like you yeah. you gotta be tougher than that right and it's because it, he hadn't done it in a while yeah. and like that's going to continue to go up but yeah. um interesting you know really good stuff we're going to introduce someone that's going to be on the podcast pretty soon dr andy wolf a fellow hunter a phd a guy that is starting to help us crunch a bunch of this data and he actually has a really interesting he shared some some research with me the other day about kind of almost contextualizing this thought of how rpe and our performance and output 
actually looks when we think about it from a, a, the context of of hunting going from day one to day two mm-hmm. uh how much weight's in our pack like all these different things and and he kind of really bended my ear a little bit about like thinking in terms of some of this stuff where yes we can get down and really dig into you know you guys have thrown out a ton of terms and things like that that where you look at it and go like man this can get really sciencey this can get really nerdy yeah. and he was kind of like maybe we don't have to and there's a way that we can utilize this scaling of some of this stuff mm-hmm. to get people to understand better better decisions better training applications and things like that to help them learn how to better kind of embark on some of these endeavors yeah. and and figure out how to uh maybe scale their level of intensity, their efforts and things like that based off of that Mm -hmm. as we go. So that's something that we're going to work on. I'm excited about. Um, I do have one more question before we jump off. I'm a little scared to ask it maybe. (laughs) Um, Cause it could open a can of worms, but I'm, I'm looking for brevity and conciseness out of you. This is a challenge. Let's talk about, cause I know, I know what your stance is and Mike, mm-hmm. I've, 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 you've talked about this a little bit. We've said both of these terms before. Talk about the difference between VO2 max mm. and functional threshold for power. <laughs> what is the difference? Is one better than the other? Because uh, I think a lot of people outside of our community, most of your, your you know, you talk to me like, hey, like you should get in better shape. And their first thing is like, you need, you get your VO2 max up. And then I talked to JC and JC's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but there's a hereditary part of that. And uh, I want to look at your functional threshold for power. And I'm like, what'd you call me? I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> and so talk, uh, I don't know who wants to take this one first, but I just want to create a little bit of clarity with this and get people to understand the difference between the two. And then lastly, this is the last question of the day. If I don't have cool, smart guys like you to train with, mm. how do I understand how I can do this simply in some some way? Like if I'm just the average Joe, and I'm like, let's go. Mike, you want to go first on that? I'm putting down yeah, my pen. I, yeah, I was going to say, Joel, you said you, you're kind of embarrassed about asking that question. And my usual response is I was young and I was in college and I needed the money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not proud of it. I was just yeah. getting some cash. But we're not going to talk. Um, the VO2 compared to functional threshold, I think. So, and we've seen this, and we could talk about this at length, and it's kind of fun. So, um, I'm just going to go. Functional threshold is really much more important as, as far as performance. VO2, yes, it's going to track up. Yes, higher is better than lower. Yes, for health benefits. And we can look over on the wellness and health side of things for VO2 and say that's a really good thing to have. And that is all very well true. But when you're talking about performance, we're looking at functional threshold. Correct me if I'm wrong, JC. No, I won't correct you on that. In fact, I've that's I've been banging the gong on that all along. I used to be a big fan of VO2 um, and lactate testing. Um, and, and, you know, while we've been talking about, uh, you know, to your second question about making it accessible and making it understandable, yeah. VO2 systems, lactate draws require either a lot of technology, um, a lot of financial backing, um, obviously <laughs> understanding bloodborne pathogen protocols when you're utilizing, uh, lactate threshold testing, um, and the, the, uh, practitioner 
uh, needs to be an expert in understanding a how to do the test and b right. how to extrapolate the data functional threshold for power which is kind of and i use this air quotes new kit on the block it's not that new but it's relatively new is easier to test uh, requires less technology and will be able to spit out easier to understand programs going back to what uh mike was saying you know your vo2 is basically your vo2 can it be changed over time yes it can but the increments are reasonably small okay yes do you if you're an endurance athlete do you want to hire vo2 of course you do yeah. okay but but vo2 you're not going to see the uh let's say the training uh effect um uh a massive difference as you will with functional threshold for power I usually, function, yeah I, I usually tell people that if you want a really high vo2 you better pick your parents well yeah if, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it right um because there's there's so little ability yes. for you to make like yes. any huge jumps in that correct and i think it's very misunderstood which is kind of why i like tried to lob this into your court yeah. like you guys court and i didn't mean to cut you off yeah no um, that's fine and functional threshold for power is something that obviously we've done a lot of work with, a lot of research with, not just for endurance athletes, but for strength and power athletes as well and strength and power clients is making sure that they are able to do a simple test, do a simple retest. And then as we go through the process, we start to take a look at how those numbers change. We start to look and, and see where they very efficient, where they very deficient and be able to build out the programming based on that. And it's it's simple, it's easy to access. And to, to answer your final question, Joel, I really do feel strongly about average Joe bow hunter, uh, you know, going out to actually, you know, really wants to dig into this stuff and get better at it. Find somebody that can help you with that. Find, uh, uh, you know, it could be a trainer at a local gym. We know a guy. Be, could be, this could be us here at Fast Performance, could be, you know, going to find Barnsley or anybody like that who can actually, you know, take a look at where you are, what you want to accomplish, do some type of easy test protocol on you and give you some type of program that's going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. I honestly feel like you can read as much stuff on the web as you want. You can go into your CrossFit box and beat the hell out of yourself as much as you want. But if you really want to get better at this, find an expert that can help you. And they're they're everywhere. It doesn't sure. matter where you guys are listening in right now. Yeah. I'm sure you have them in your town or nearby. Yeah, uh, I, that's really, really good stuff. I think we could continue, you know, I'm like I said, there's a lot of little things that spike here and, and we can head down a lot of different avenues with some of these things. I think ultimately my, you know, my goal, you, hopefully your guys' goal here is, to get people to understand that you you joke about this all the time, JC. JC says, I'm trying to put the conditioning back in the strength and conditioning. <laughs> and I think we lose sight of that a lot in, in all facets, right? We lose sight of it in our sports side. We lose sight of it in life side, yeah. right? We've got our, our gym rats that won't do any cardio and you got your cardio kings and queens that won't do any weightlifting. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is this balance within all of these things. And obviously in the context of what we're talking about from a hunting perspective, you can't just lift and you nope. can't just run, nope. you know, and you know, you, we've mentioned this Barnsley, you talk about like your Cam Haynes, guess what? Cam Haynes lifts like a freaking maniac. Yeah. He runs a ton. He runs hundreds of miles a month, yeah. but you know what he does? He still lifts a lot of weights. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, if you want to take something away from a guy like that without like 
telling yourself you want to be that guy, which is perfectly fine and, mm -hmm. and very honorable, you have to understand that what he's doing is a balance of all of yeah. those things. Okay. Granted, it is at a very elite and high level. But if you're going to emulate any of that, there's your take home message. Yeah. You've got you've got to balance both ends of the, that spectrum. And right? do you. Right. And, and do you every 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 individual is going to respond to the training stimulus differently so 100%. don't go out and try to be cam haynes no go out and try to be mike barnes that's a lot better probably healthier for you <laughs> well, you, you know what crosses my mind though too guys is so you know winter is just around the corner here in the rockies and it's going to come down to be i just don't go outside and work out unless it's an exceptional day so i'm down to my treadmill and i'm down to my trainer on the bike my bike mm -hmm. on the trainer. So if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to like maintain any type of reasonable, functional hunting fitness, three times on the treadmill, three times on the bike intervals at varying efforts and lengths between one and eight minutes recoveries between one and five minutes, I don't know, maybe eight depending. And mm -hmm. then a lot of the stuff is going to be zone two. I'm going to yep. be, you know, a couple interval yep. days on the bike, maybe one or two, maybe one or two intervals on the tread, and then it's zone two. And yep. that's about as simple as I can make it. Yeah, most definitely. Mike, uh, are you sure? I, we were probably, uh, we're cut so from the same cloth. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not even funny. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the preacher of zone two in this place. and Everybody's like, oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so, this is true. Yeah. So, yeah. well, well, if you do it right, if you do it right, you might surprise yourself on that last oh, 15, yeah. 20 minutes in zone you two. Yep. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, well, guys, number one, I want to thank both of you. Um, I know I wrestled you in, into the room today and I, I appreciate it. This is an area that I constantly tell people like uh, I understand it and. I'm the guy who also has never had the tech. I've never had all the cool devices until I met JC. And then JC <laughs> pulled our lab together and did all these cool things. I've always seen these things. I've been around labs in educational kind of opportunities and stuff like that. But I've never you had own a black lab. I own a black lab, so yeah. that helps as well. That's the first lab I've owned. Um, and and but at the same time, like talk about like dummying this down. Like I'm a guy that has always sat and held a stopwatch and said, all right, we're going to run. We're going to do a, a 20 second sprint and mm -hmm. I'm going to give you 60 seconds of recovery. I'm going to do, we're going to run for a specific distance. I'm going to time it and see how long it takes you. And then let's figure out, can you re repeat that effort in the same amount of time? And, and you talk about like using gorilla math, like the stuff isn't that hard no. and that's a lot more of a gross way to look at it. But if I say we're going to do that sprint, and we're going to do that run depending upon whatever zone or intensity or duration that we're looking at. And if I make you do it again and you can't repeat it, then whatever rest I gave you for that time wasn't enough or you haven't conditioned enough to handle that bout. And that's the most simplest way that I've always looked at doing some of these things. Like if you can do that and then you can do it again and you can do that same effort in the same distance or time or whatever else based on how, if I gave you 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute worth of rest or whatever, then I'm going to adjust. I'm going to either push the, that distance out further. I'm going to push that time out further, or I'm going to take some rest away. And that's pretty much, if you want to talk about the simplest way to look at some of this stuff without needing technology and a lab and all these other things, like 
that's worked for me for literally two decades. And now I'm like in this like Cadillac mode where I'm like, look at all this cool stuff we can do here. <laughs> and yet my old school thought process is still back in that stopwatch. And, and I hope that everyone can understand that. We hope that this helps a lot. Most importantly, if it doesn't, and you're wondering what the heck we've been talking about for the last hour plus, Leave comments in the comment section down below. We definitely value any questions that you have. We wanna make sure that we provide this stuff back to you. We're gonna leave you some links to some of the research and maybe a couple of the things that we, we brought up today. We're gonna to continue bringing more of this stuff. We're gonna continue having better looking guests, hopefully in the future. Um, but I appreciate you guys both getting on here today. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you guys for educating me. I got to write down a lot of notes today. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, JC. You bet, Mike. Thank you. See you guys. See ya.